What's up guys? Welcome back to Starball. It's Emma. Today is Sunday, October 30th, 2022. Um, it's been a minute. Happy Halloween. Well, well, Addison fucking killed it. <laughs> As Lady Gaga from when she performed paparazzi at the VMAs. We've all seen it. I haven't even opened TikTok since I saw that image because I knew I would just be like flooded by takes and I, my brain didn't have the space for anything other my just like shock, horror, and um, deep feeling of um, personal pride. <laughs> um, and then she also went as Kate Moss, also looked amazing. Um, I've said this many times, but one of the extraordinary things about Addison is how well she can embody so many... Um, classic women of our time i'm like the addison cleopatra when you know um the other thing outside of her halloween costumes is that addison's dancing again just the other day she posted um the first like full choreography video that she's posted to my knowledge in a long time um certainly many months maybe close to a year um of her in the studio and um you know in comparison to when dancing for us was her main modality, she's so much more um, distant and obscured to us now, right? She's um, kind of gone through this process of like concealment and um, she feels much edgier and just harder to reach, right? That that eagerness and that kind of cheerleader quality that so characterized her first couple years in the spotlight, um, is really all gone. And what has remained is her incredible control of her body. Um, and that's why she looks so good in all of these different shoots and why anytime she moves on camera, it's just like mesmerizing. Um, but she's growing up and she's evolving and I, um, I pity anyone who ever doubted her. (laughs) you know, in comparison where she felt just like always too available to us. Now I think we have developed a craving for, um, this type of original Addison content, um, that feels like a throwback and just, it feels like a treat. So I want to thank her for, for that. Um, what else happened while I couldn't get my shit together to record? Um, Audrey Gellman had a baby her name is Vivian. Um, she was born a couple weeks ago now. I didn't even know that Audrey was pregnant. I guess she had kept that pretty under wraps, though I don't really keep the closest of tabs on her. But anyways, congratulations to Audrey. Glad the baby's healthy. And um, Vivian is like, just happens to be one of my favorite names. So <laughs> amazing taste. Um, Emrata is in her bitch era. Uh, I first became aware of this from a TikTok that she posted on September 30th in which she's talking about the movie Blonde, that uh, that new adaptation of the Joyce Carol Oates book. Um, it's kind of a fictionalized biography of Marilyn Monroe starring Anna Darmus, right? It came out, what, almost a couple months ago now? Um, I just watched it the other week and I actually was very moved by it. But anyways, sorry. I'll say um, in this TikTok, where Emily Ratajkowski is announcing her bitch era. She was talking about the movie Blonde, which I don't believe that she had seen, um, but she had been made aware that there was lots of criticism floating around that is just like yet another example of um, 
men fetishizing female pain and Emily's like not surprised and talking about how she feels like in her career as a means of kind of self-protection and um, also commercial success she's learned how to like fetishize her own pain um and she talks she's like I figured out a way to like you know use it to my advantage like I knew it was kind of sexy and I'm kind of like this fucked up girl blah 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 blah. she's like but you know it's kind of hard to fetishize anger so um that's what I'm doing now I'm officially in my bitch era I'm like an angry woman or something so um yeah it that's kind of an interesting logical conclusion to come to i I've, sorry, I'm not trying to be like sassy or like, hmm, but, um, I just feel like there's like ample, um, historical evidence and near historical evidence that, um, being an angry woman is often, um, often completely backfires in the project to subvert misogyny. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, I think it, I don't actually, whatever, doesn't matter, but, um, the bitch era is upon us. Apparently, I, I guess I was, kind of thinking like interesting because the past two years or so have kind of been this pop culture project of reclaiming bimbo right with all of the um Anna Nicole Smith and Pamela Anderson and even like Britney kind of rejoicing um anyways I'm wondering if um bitch is kind of due for its project although I do feel like bitch kind of had that reclamation era in the like early to mid 2010s I feel like when I was in college and um in my like feminist theory class we'd be reading a lot of these like pop political theory books and they were all like really obsessed with like bitch and cunt take back and even just like bitch media I don't know whatever anyways this is what Emily's on about currently um she also has a podcast the first episode airs this coming week, November 1st, I believe. So, um, we'll have to check back in about that next time. Um, the podcast is called high low and we do have to talk about the, um, album art for her podcast, which uh, is super weird, but I think to read in the most generous light is kind of actually coming full circle back to her Robin Thicke era. Like I think with the, um, the kind of like tousled hair and um, just the red font and her the way her makeup's done, um, it it's really giving the blurred lines vibe to me. Um, so, if you go to the Instagram that she posted on October twelfth, yeah, and the leather jacket and the mic stand, it's so weird. And then the second picture. <laughs> all in a day's work anyways um well just have to keep an eye on that um and her starting a podcast is not surprising right it's actually kind of the next logical step in her project I feel like I think of Emily Ratajkowski as someone who's never quite satisfied with her um like either amount of power or even just kind of like or not even power so much but um station in culture and so she's always like trying to come at it from a different angle and kind of like get a new new team on board or something or I don't even know okay maybe she's just ambitious and she's just like always trying to challenge herself that is certainly admirable so anyways whatever we'll listen and we'll check back in cool what else um 
Oh, well, Sydney has like announced being in a ton of movies. She's going to remake um, Barbarella, that Jane Fonda movie from the 60s, um, and uh, which I actually just watched like after she announced it. I had been meaning to for years and just finally did. Um, and it seems to me that the, the point of that movie is just a bunch of beautiful images of a woman in distress. And, and Sydney looks so good in distress. So I think it's going to be great. Um, yeah. And then she's in a couple others. I guess we saw that like first look of her in Madam Web, where she's looking just extremely dowdy, like almost looks like a 40 year old librarian. I don't know. I, I mentioned in my episode on her, like she can, they can make her look like extraordinarily plain, which I guess, you know, versatility is a gift, but I think everyone seemed collectively like what a disgrace to see her in like kind of kind of muted strawberry blonde hair and glasses and, and, uh, and like a grandpa cardigan and a button up. I mean, yeah, no, I mean, that's not, that's not anyone's ideal way to view her, but whatever. Um, Oh, and then this, this happened so long ago also, but um, uh, Grimes' plastic surgery, like right after I posted the episode, then she had posted um, that that bandaged up photo and everyone thought she got elf ears and then it looks like she's just got um, filler and a facelift. Um, yeah, I guess one thing that I didn't really go into in the Grimes conversation was her, um, you know, I was reading an essay that I had written in 2020 and I felt like that was a time that there was still some tension around her public image. And I maybe didn't in- totally interrogate like the since then conversation, which is, um, at least to me, I think she's, uh, like really devolved into caricature. There's not a lot of like interesting things happening, um, with her as a character. Um, so I don't know. The plastic surgery just definitely feels like a little, or I don't know. Everything, I think it just, it all feels a little blown out and they're like too on the nose for this project. We're not really feeling like the crazy whim of her anymore. It's kind of like, oh yeah, this is the next thing that we'd expect this person to do. Um, Which is fine, but just I'm saying like, narratively speaking, less compelling. Okay. I think that's all I had today. Um, I'm really excited about this episode. Um, today we're going to talk about Julia Fox. Um, Julia was someone who was always on my short list of star girls to do. Um, but I felt like people were just kind of sick of hearing about her. Like we're so inundated with images of her that are constantly trying to one up each other. And we, um, they've all kind of lost like shock value or like, uh, interest. Um, so, but then I ended up coming right back and <laughs> like, I think we can tackle it. Um, high level, um, Julia Fox is an actress and model, at least according to Wikipedia. Um, that's her title, but that does kind of undercut her eminence and, um, at least within the past year, kind of ubiquity. Um, she feels like Julie Fox is kind of feels like an idea <laughs> more than any one job. Uh, also up top, she's five, eight and she has, um, she has like a sturdy frame. Like she has in the past year lost a ton of weight. Um, I think we're all kind of aware of this like complete shift in her appearance from, 
let's say this time 2021 to now um but she's definitely not in the teeny tiny woman category like she has broad shoulders and big boobs and hips and an ass and big thighs like she has always been very fit even when she was heavier um like she has just really she's very well built like she kind of has perfect shapes regardless of how her weight fluctuates um but anyways yeah she has like an essence of like sturdiness and power and sex i would say um she has uh kind of dark brown hair she has green eyes she has massive eyes massive just facial features in general um huge lips and um yeah she has a face that is to me just like extraordinarily beautiful it feels like something that could have been carved out of stone like millions of years ago and has somehow like uh made it through to today i don't know it just it feels like um something from like long ago or something (laughs) Um, her biggest breakthrough was Uncut Gems, the Safdie Brothers film that came out in 2019. We'll talk about that. Um, but there's a lot of Julia Fox lore that exists before this and is now kind of well known because I think, you know, level one is kind of like, uh, Julia Fox, Uncut Gems and what followed level two is like, Oh, but what you didn't know that came before Uncut Gems think that um yeah there's a lot of kind of well-known lore about her now um that we're all vaguely familiar with um just in terms of her past as a sex worker her like um the art books she's produced and her just kind of her youth in um late 2000s and 2010s um in the downtown scene so We'll get into all of that, but I guess before we do the full deep dive, uh, it's important to know just kind of where she is in her PR cycle right now. So I would say generally speaking in 2022, it's fair to say that Julia Fox is kind of a meme of herself. At least that's how she like is existing in the public's consciousness. Um, and you know, just with, with so many things with like all of her eye makeup, all of her different like DIY leather and denim and Hanes <laughs> tank top skirt set looks like, and, um, you know, all of her sound bites, most of which came out of that, um, call her daddy episode that she did and various like snippets from interviews on the red carpet. You know, there's all these kind of just sounds and images and, um, looks of hers that are just kind of mass circulated all the time that have, um, they're kind of like, uh, it's kind of like an empty reference or something, you know, or like feels, or I don't know what the right phrase is, but like, it feels like some sort of circular reasoning where it's not really, um, it doesn't really, uh, ever point to a source, you know, they're just kind of like all bouncing around in our mind and like nothing else that she comes out with really, um, is striking or even feels that separate from anything else that she like has just done the weeks before, even as it appears to continually try to up its own ante. So I think that has been the case for most of 2022. That said, it's important for us to remember that this whole era that I just described has only been in existence for the past 10 months, right? So remember that it was New Year's Eve on 2022 when she did 
the first Kanye date, right? And then she like wrote it up for Interview Magazine, you know, the, where they went to, where they saw a slave play and then went to Carbone. Um, and she was just photographed like running around with him. And, um, you know, that was kind of the kickoff for this whole new chapter. And so, right, at first that shift was shocking. It was shocking how much weight she had lost. It was shocking just like that new level of celebrity because um, obviously she had been, um, she had achieved a degree of uh, mass culture success with Uncut Gems and like in the interim years following that. But then when she, suddenly she's hanging out with Kanye and there's just a million more eyes on her um, and she started really kind of, uh, provoking, um, like the pop culture line of sight. And anyways, so that's been happening, but it all lost its power pretty quickly, as I said, um, or just important to keep in mind how relatively short that period of time has been, um, in comparison to her decade plus of being a girl about town, making shit and being talked about. So, um, also, I guess important to note that I don't know how narrow my perspective of the collective eye roll is. I feel like people that I know are bored of seeing pictures of her, or hearing about her, but there's certainly like an enormous contingent that just like sees her as this like amazing icon and is like, uh, yeah, die hard for her. I don't know. It was just like it's Halloween weekend, right? And so I'm. Um, tons of people were her for Halloween. She posted a ton, probably like over a hundred of, um, people that, um, were dressed up as her for Halloween. Um, so, well, for the longest time, her Instagram bio was a New York classic in, and it was like in that old English font. It's since been changed. I think of her as for sure a New York classic and um, that's the like grounded position we come to before we dig in deeper. Okay, so Julia Fox, let's start at the beginning. Um, Julia was born in Milan in 1990 to an American father and a an Italian mother. She lived the first couple of years in Italy with her mom, but then she moved to New York and she was raised by her dad. So she's born in 1990, so she's 32 now. She grew up in Yorkville, which is a neighborhood in Manhattan, um, just like east of the um, Upper East Side. Um, and and one thing I just want to say is that um, when last summer, when that kind of tell-all podcast by Rachel Amandi, I think the podcast is called The Cutting Room Floor, came out about Leandra Medine, who is the um, founder of Man Repeller, the now defunct um, kind of quirky girl fashion lifestyle website. Um, anyways, when this kind of tell-all came out about Leandra, one of the big things that people were on about was, oh my gosh, like Leandra had the audacity to make the distinction that she grew up in Yorkville, not the Upper East Side. Like it's the same fucking thing. She's a rich girl, blah, 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 blah. And then like when we have a character like Julia Fox, who's so adamantly like, I grew up in Yorkville, like it's not, it's not questioned, you know, it's just like, oh fuck. Okay. She's from Yorkville. Like, <laughs> I don't know. And it's, it's just funny where people want to jump in and like split hairs and whatever. So yeah, so she grew up in New York and she went to high school in New York. Um, it's, there's a lot of different information 
<laughs> about her high school years. Uh, Wikipedia formally says that she went to City as School, um, which is a like alternative public high school in like Greenwich area. Um, I was just reading about it. Some notable alumni include Asa Akira, Princess Nokia, and Ryder Rips. <laughs> um, but then in the interview that she did with Nami Fry in The New Yorker, um, maybe about a year ago now, she references going to like six different high schools. And then um, in the Call Her Daddy episode, she um, talks about having gone to high school in the East Village. So, you know, I think the general takeaway is she um, had a youth of um, little supervision, kind of running wild in New York. It was one big playground. She's like just trying to get by. Um, You know, she started partying really young. She says that she started going out to clubs when she was like 14 and experimenting with drugs and sex and et cetera. Yeah, I'll talk more about that in a second. But anyways, that's kind of the backdrop of her youth. Um, She also worked as a dominatrix when she was in high school um, sometime between um, 16 and 18. So her like later years of high school. Um, so we'll put that at like 2006 to 2008 ish. Um, and she's talked about this a lot and it certainly informs a lot of like her look and the politics she espouses and the kind of, um, cultural alignments she makes today. Um, she worked in the basement of this commercial building in Chelsea and she says that it was mostly like fantasy role play. She, there's a quote where she was like, no nudity, no penetration. Um, but she's talked a lot about this, um, work being her first experience acting. And, um, so yeah, she's hustling from a young age. She's like out there, um, as, as a really young girl. Um, she actually did this recent shoot and interview for Paper Mag where she went back to this building where she used to work and and they photographed her in like each of the different rooms. The interviews between her and Kat Marnell and she's kind of talking about, reflecting on her experience and um, kind of, yeah, the different themes of these rooms and the roles that she would play and like what that was kind of brought out of her Um it's shot by her friend Richie Shazam and styled by her friend, I don't know, it's Brianna, Brianna, and Delore. Um, Julia works with her friends a lot and for many, many years. Um, it's like amazing once you start, you know, paying attention to who she's posting on Instagram or um, doing like any very light <laughs> research like google searches about her um and you just like see the same people again and again and again that she's worked with and um yeah she's kind of loyalty over everything um with with her friends so like sex work discourse has become pretty mainstream in the past i don't know five years um but Julia like predated the public kind of comfortability slash like interest in this conversation and lifestyle and aesthetics, at least to my knowledge, at least at like the just, gen- you know, kind of basic Brooklyn girl who like is interested in Rachel Rabbit White and Charlotte Chain. Like, um, you know, this is before like there's like cultural references to some grade of 
sex work like you know like cat on euphoria is like, starts camming um way before like only fans and all of this right so it, i guess just like the the whole space can feel pretty tired now i guess and um it can be annoying i think because all these girls with like college degrees are now like i don't even know but um Anyways, I'm just saying that like at first blush, it can kind of seem like Julia is like hopping on this like ready-made trend for her or something. But I think there actually is a more complicated dynamic where this is like ready available for her to play into now. Um, And she has experience from a time where it was like a whole different rodeo, or at least we believe it to be so. Um, But... (laughs) I don't know if a point cohered out of all of that, but just some things I was thinking about. Um, I mean, outside of this, she had like a really hard partying youth, um, which I think looms in like public imagination and is a big part of what she represents even now being, you know, well beyond that, being a mom, being sober now. Um, but Like I said, she started partying really young um, and just experimenting with drugs. She actually OD'd when she was 17, um, which she's talked about. Um, But I think in general, it's just kind of this recklessness and uh, little to no supervision, lots of drugs and sex and excitement and like community of other like young, highly energized, highly reckless people who all kind of take care of each other. Um, And I guess just the way it functions in public imagination, there's a lot of like glamour and just cred, I guess, that comes with um, our, yeah, our imagination of this type of lifestyle at this age. Um, So Julia was 18 in 2008. So like public record holds this as the like height of indie sleaze. And I just wanted to know, like this is not, that's not, quite Julia. <laughs> There's nothing like Tumblr-y about um, what we know of Julia at this time. Like the Strokes, Sky Friera. No, it doesn't seem like she seems like closer to like a young money groupie or something. Um, I think one thing that um, feels like it stands out is that it doesn't seem like Julia was online at this time. She was like in the streets. <laughs> she was like really really living hard and it doesn't seem like um there was kind of this uh meta narrative of her life and her experience happening online um like to talk to the dream that she represents which to me feels very like located in uh her being young and reckless in New York, as I said, um, like just like, so we haven't talked about anything she's like done or created yet. Right. This is just like her being her is kind of the crux of the myth of Julia Fox and the power of Julia Fox and the narrative endurance of her, which is kind of, um, interesting. Um, but everything that she has done or created or become a representative of, um, seems to me to be informed by this time in her life right and by how real and hard her youth was or at least has been like rendered to us in fragments um 
yeah, I guess I would say like the dream she represents is like young, hot, down and out in New York. And there is a massive body of work around this phenomenon throughout the ages, literally like at any point in history, there's going to be a chronicle of what were like the youngest and most wild people doing in New York. And there's like always going to be this feeling of that time being just out of reach or like you, you were just too late to it, you know? Anyways. And I think that these, these chronicles happen at like, like they happen for like every subculture or scene and at, um, they, they can be like popified or like just this kind of interscene, you know, stories that get passed down or something. But like, I even feel like Alice and Roman even though that's like the G rated and, and like people who are like 20 years older version, <laughs> the friends giving vibe, like it still kind of is the same sentiment of like finding a community of like-minded people who take care of each other, even though they like don't have their shit together in a variety of ways. Okay. Anyways, this is all to say that people will always be interested in what young people are up to in New York city. And this is like a kind of uh, a fable and a dream and like a vision that like so many of us have anyways to speak to julia specifically i think she in many regards falls into the specific lineage of like 1990s and 2000s this <laughs> even as it literally predated her the difficult to talk about because it's so talked about um kind of most cited example would be the movie kids by larry clark so this came out in 1995 and it's um depicting high schoolers just drinking experimenting with drugs and sex and like you know the backdrop of it is like aids and multiple characters are HIV positive and it's this whole, um, portrait of, um, unsupervised, invincible feeling young people. Um, this movie and so many similar depictions of youth in New York function on one level as kind of a cautionary tale, but then I think what's more powerful and therefore like disturbing about them is that Actually, their function is to arouse this longing that so many people have, um, basically of being cool. <laughs> um, like, so level one to that is this, um, just this feeling of like ultimate freedom of danger and boundary seeking and yeah, I, no supervision, just, um, yeah, the invincibility of youth. I think I keep coming back to, um, and you know, so these fables of, Youth, even like euphoria, right? This like speaks to, um, it's easy for anybody, I think, who felt particularly like charged and just like coursing with adrenaline and e experimenting and like fucking up and just like getting into scary, f sketchy situations and then just like getting out of them. Um, I think that like, you know, it's, it's, it's powerful to be transported back to, I guess. Um, Anyway, so there's that first just general like freedom of youth part. Um, two, I think that it's powerful to witness because it's a dream that many people have to be part of something that comes to epitomize the time in which you live. Um, and I think that if kids, if it managed to feel like it captured a time, um, we're going to have this awe attached to the characters 
that were at the center of something um, and that were so full of life that demanded them being depicted. Um, I guess if that makes sense. Okay, it's basically just describing like <laughs> anyone at the center of the zeitgeist is <laughs> inherently interesting. <laughs> I'm so stupid. Anyways, okay. So again, like in 1995, Julia was five. So right, it was like 10 to 15 years after that that she is like coming into her wild and crazy, you know, late teens, young adult life. Um, so she's not a contemporary of that, um, of those kids, right? She's, yeah, I think she's like 15 years younger than Chloe, 70s. So, um, but she can fit into that lineage in a lot of ways, kind of general timeline subject matter and just all the all of the downstream aesthetics um that were kind of laid out the even before I had seen kids like I just like had known somehow that Rosario Dawson was discovered on her stoop by Larry Clark and Harmony Corinne who wrote um who wrote kids um right and so that's kind of like analogous to you know julia's part in uncut gems which was written for her by josh safty right so this this idea that you can emanate something so strong and essential to a time or a milieu that people with a vision can't help but animate you you know that's that's powerful and that's will always be something that i think i don't know like everyone wants that you know <laughs> Um, yeah, so I guess I think I, I bring this all up because I just think that this, um, her proximity and the, the ease with which she kind of can be a folded into, a like, a an aesthetic world and a time period and a, like, there's an image of what, what young people in New York meant at this time. And Julia fits into that really well. And I think that just gives her a lot of narrative endurance. She basically has like infinity runway because of this time in her life right like there's kind of this like built-in voyeurism for her because she was there right so even today she can like bring us back to that part of herself um and you know I think were it not for like a, a lot of that she would just like she wouldn't continue to be interesting to us um so as I mentioned, and as is well known by now, she had um, like a early artistic career completely separate of um, her acting career. So she published two art books. Sorry, we're jumping forward a little bit now. Um, now she's like into her 20s. So she published two art books, the first of which um, she self-published in 2015. So she was 25. Um, it's called Symptomatic of a Relationship Gone Sour, Heartburn, Nausea. And it's currently out of stock. Um, it's a mix of photos, notes, and other kind of artifacts. Like there's like a lost girl or like a runaway girl sign of her. Um, just this kind of portrait of self-destructive behavior. So drugs, bad relationships. But yeah, it's pretty... I mean, I obviously haven't seen the full book because it's like I wouldn't be able to buy it. But um, from what I've seen online, it's like, yeah, pretty gruesome. Lots of pictures of her like all tied up or just like... Yeah, the, I mean, the cover is actually of her shooting up, so please don't look at it if it will make you upset. Um, the next year, 2016, she came out with another book called PTSD, um, which I did find. It's selling for about two grand on Amazon. Um, it's kind of similar vibes, um, but lots, if not all of it, actually, 
not sure, was shot in Louisiana. She had moved to New Orleans for a little bit. This one was actually explicitly described in by one critic as it's like Madonna's sex book if it had been shot by Larry Clark. Um, yeah, I guess there's there's more kind of like uh, explicit or ampl- yeah, both, <laughs> um, you know, interrogations of like power and um, how it manifests in sexual relationships. Um, and then she also did a photo exhibit called PTSD with some of these images um, that showed in a gallery that no longer exists on Canal. Um, okay, I have to share this like really random thing with you guys. Um, I'm pretty sure this is like a porn reposting site. I'm so sorry. It is called drunkenstepfather.com, but there is an article on its blog called Julia Fox's self-published edgy porn art of the day. And there are some rendered images of, um, these couple of books. Um, yeah, it is pretty graphic. So whatever, (laughs) use your discretion, but I need to read to you the couple paragraphs from this because it's so hilarious. Okay. Julia Fox has published a few books that feature her quote-unquote raw artwork, I guess. You may not know who Julia Fox is, but she's from the Adam Sandler movie he's a jeweler in. Oh, I forgot to say, this blog post came out in 2020, so this guy is like digging through, figuring out like, who is this girl? (laughs) Um, You may be surprised that these were put out there by her, but it's on some Harmony Corinne, Terry Richardson, Nan Golden, Sam Taylor Wood, Larry Clark, dot, dot, dot. You get what I'm saying. And I don't mean to be name dropping art photographers like I care, dot, dot, dot. I just lived with an art photographer in the 90s and had to jerk off to all their photo art books for lack of access to porn. <laughs> Point being, dot, dot, dot. I think this shit is great, nostalgic, brings back fond memories of a simpler time when this kind of thing was shocking, exciting, new, and not put out there for likes and follows. Solid fucking job, girl. Even it's even if it's as contrived as all those other artists I mentioned earlier in the post, it's still good stuff. The weak load on her back, all right, dot, dot, dot. The shooting up, dot, dot, dot. Not cool to me, but overall, this is a win. <laughs> so I think that's a pretty good review. Um, anyways. Okay, and then she also had, so those were her books. And then she also had an... Um, a gallery show called R.I.P. Julia Fox, which she did in 2017. So here she was kind of exploring like kind of sadistic ritual death, like interest in like death drive and what are the like um, kind of sacrificial parameters or like, you know, potentials of that, I guess. Um, is featuring like her own blood on silk. Um, yeah. There's this article in that was in HuffPost, actually, when this exhibition was up. And um, she says um, here, I kind of consider myself as an anti-it girl. I don't really care about being seen. I want the things that I create to outshine the person that I am perceived to be, which I think is often not accurate and not really representative of who I am. Um, so I don't know. For some reason, that quote to me just felt like, oh, this almost feels like a different girl talking than the girl that we, like, hear now. Like, it's kind of, it's very, like, there's this interest in, like, distance, I guess. And obviously now we're in a point where, you know, Julia is, like, always feeding us images of herself and talking directly to us. And um, I was just kind of struck by, like, I don't know, the the poise of it, I guess. Um the other thing in that interview is she talks about how she views her life as like a collection of 
crazy experiences. And I think that that certainly kind of comes through when we look back at Julia, where it actually does just seem like these are the kind of like Grimes, what I like felt in her early years where it's like, oh, whatever she's up to just seems like the natural manifestation of like her living her life and just like what's just coming out of her collection of random crazy experiences. It didn't feel like a plan she was executing on. Obviously, there's no way to know. This is like, this is part of the whole myth of it, which I've said a million times, um, that, that we have this like distance. It feels so like we can't quite grasp who she was. Um, and that's part of what makes it so compelling, I guess. Um, oh, well, I guess maybe just note that like all of this stuff about her was being written up in like HuffPost and Vice, like mainstream publications that cover like New York scene stuff. So she was a fixture of downtown New York and people were interested in what she was doing and she was being reported on. Um, what else was going to say? Oh, the other thing is that, um, Richard Kern shot her, um, around this time there's, he's posted a couple old videos of her, which I believe are mostly from, yeah, like 2015 to 2017. Um, yeah, I'm not going to talk about like him as an artist, but I'm interested in Kern girls as they exist in the ether and, um, on his Instagram. Um, yeah, it's interesting because like Julia in so many ways, like makes sense to be there because she was like a downtown girl but just spend a couple minutes scrolling through the wall of his like skinny girls in their underwear dancing videos on his instagram and uh julia is like kind of just so different in these ways when I was scrolling through I was like oh she's basically like the Addison Ray of Kern girls like just more way more embodied and in control and just like a whole different type of sex appeal than his typical subjects which tend to be like you know disaffected awkward more like fawn like kind of like uh yeah feels like unaware of their or I don't not even unaware but just way less aggressive than, you know, Julia. Julia can like maintain eye contact and like she just feels way more, yeah, in control and like grounded and something. Um, I was like watching all of these and I just kept thinking like Jaguar emoji versus dove emoji. Like it would be like a miss for her not to be like committed to that crew formally, but yeah, she just don't, she doesn't totally fit with the type of sexuality and arousal that he's usually playing with. So anyways, but the other thing is around this time, maybe a little earlier, she had um, a knitwear line called Francisca Fox with her friend, Brianna Andalore, who I mentioned before. Yeah. A little knitwear line. And I, you guys, I found in into the gloss, um, which was Glossier's blog, um, from 2015 on this. And she is just, she's addressed as Julia Fox comma designer. So honestly, hats off to Emily Weiss, another noted star girl, um, for this one. She was keeping an eye out. (laughs) Um, but I'll, I'll link it so you guys can take a look. Um, the website of Francisca Fox, um, is 404 now and the Instagram doesn't exist, but the Twitter does. Um, so I had some fun scrolling through like Nicki Minaj wore one of their knits. <laughs> like, okay. Um, but anyways, um, okay. So yeah, I guess a couple points here. Um, 
One is that, okay, lore as it exists generally and lore for Julia specifically gets its power from its like distance between the subject and the um, consumer, I guess, right? Of this, you know, there's, it's made all the more interesting and like and meaningful and like surreal and somber by this feeling that we'll never be able to fully understand it. Right. So I just, I guess I wanted to point out that like, given all of this like work that she created, which was mostly about herself, like we do have artifacts, real artifacts of Julia from this time and they are self made. In other words, narrated artifacts, right? It's like her art that she penned that are basically all about herself and her body in her relationships they're very bare they're very revealing I don't know I mean obviously you're going to be interested just at like kind of a base level of like shock value and just intensity of subject matter um but it wasn't that she was not narrating her life or kind of you know creating a narrative about her life um she was very explicitly in her art but it was she was able to do it in a way that was always abstracted enough to like retain some mystery and darkness and just like generate real intrigue um she was like able to kind of remain elusive and shadowy and unknowable even though she was like bearing it all and like the author of her own images i guess um that uh, the ability to be so self-referential and still remain interesting and like yeah unknowable um is i think that's a skill in and of itself (laughs) and then i guess following from this is the fact that she was producing art has in hindsight kind of imbued her with this level of respect and further intrigue um regardless of i guess you know what one's criticisms of the art itself would be um It's like, we talked about how she was living this lifestyle that like, while very dangerous and self-destructive is also very evocative and thrilling for a lot of people to consume, to dream about, to, you know, attempt to participate in. Um, And so I think her art kind of substantiates this lifestyle in a way because she's depicting this, you know, all these really like edgy, self-destructive, like really like terrifying things in a lot of ways. Um, but she's not only like made it out of that, but she's also been able to use those experiences to create these items of beauty. And it kind of, it gives the whole thing that much more power, perhaps like dark power, but like, yeah, like she, she becomes not only a member of something cool that was happening, but also a chronicler of it. And that's just like, that is a position of power, you know? And, and then also, character in those chronicles you know so not everyone can can do that and still feel like an appealing character I guess so yeah she has a real a real innate magnetism she you know she talks a lot about like having known that she was always going to be famous and she you know (laughs) is really quick to distinguish that like no it's not that I wanted to be famous I didn't want attention I just always knew that I would be like it just followed me everywhere um and I feel like I can see that (laughs) I like I totally buy it oh but I also think like she kind of serves as a role model in this weird way of throwing yourself fully into something 
Um, I'm not saying like we should all throw ourselves into drugs and terrible destructive relationships. Absolutely not. But she is a totem of like, she's gone all the way through, I mean, literally to death and back and created something out of her experiences. And I feel like, you know, back to that quote that I mentioned before about her thinking of her life as a collection of crazy experiences. Um, it's like kind of a success story of like, Oh, you can just follow all your impulses no matter how dangerous they are. And you will not only emerge from it, but have this like bounty of creations to share, you know, it's really a stim. It's a stimulating concept, I guess. Um, so I guess just like the, you can get something out of it by thinking like having the guts to throw yourself into something and really live out your choices, I guess, like to, to be at the mercy of your choices and receive the consequences of them. Um, just like see where you land and create something beautiful out of that. That feels like important. The alternative being just orbiting the thing, whatever the thing is, whether it's a scene or an idea or a look or whatever element, uh, whatever other element of lifestyle, um, just continuing to orbit it or like giving up on it or being like, Oh, as I got closer, it wasn't quite what I thought, you know? And I think I admire anybody who can get over that, (laughs) those self-protective excuses basically. And just like follow something all the way through. Um, I guess, yeah. When I look up to Julia, I think about like, Oh, she serves as like a challenge to, to people to keep getting closer, closer, closer to it. I mean, I think like what we want is to have experiences that feel wild and meaningful and to be able to create something beautiful, something that delivers value out of those wild and meaningful experiences. And she did. And on top of it, then she's had all these opportunities to perform, (laughs) which speaks to me. Okay, so maybe we'll uh, fast forward a little bit to Uncut Gems and kind of moving moving the dial a little bit closer to the present. So Uncut Gems. As is well known, Julia Fox was friends with Josh Safdie, um, one of the writers, directors for like a decade um, at the time that she starred in the movie. Again, the movie came out in 2019. And she actually met Josh through Sebastian Bear, Emily Ratajkowski's ex-husband. So... Um, as we know, the part was written for her specifically from the get go. This is not the case for Adam Sandler. This is not the case for Kevin Garnett. So in some ways it was centered around inspired by Julia Fox. And you know, the whole muse thing has been like so dragged through the mud that I, it's always like feels difficult to open it back up. But I'm like, I'm on like a tiny mini crusade to like restore order and dignity to the word because it's like. And the concept, because it's like, this is an important thing that we like take seriously. (laughs) It is so powerful to be the type of girl or the type of person that speaks so viscerally to something universal and critical to your time. This is what makes the world go around you guys. Like this is an instance where just her being herself, someone was like, I need to capture this. You embody what it feels like to be here now. It's like one of the most powerful concepts that I can think of. <laughs> um, anyways, just want to call it out. Um, but her character in Uncut Gems, 
seriously don't remember what her name is in Uncut Gems. Oh my god, her name is Julia. <laughs> okay, I'm just fucking stupid. Okay, so she plays <laughs> she plays Julia, written for Julia. Um she's the kind of yeah, mistress and shop girl for this um gambling jeweler played by Adam Sandler. Um she's very kind of sassy and bitchy and kind of just this like ghetto glam white girl, um hot as hell, loyal, heart of gold. Um yeah. What are the scenes that I think of are like her chasing after him on the street and like <laughs> I just like she's charging down the street and her like butt is so big and she's just like stomping, 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 yelling, yelling, yelling. It's like so cute. And then of course the the um episode where or the episode, the scene where she um is like all like dressed up in her like lingerie and her garters, um, and this like emerald and black set. Um Actually, my favorite picture of Julia ever is from when she was in that costume, like a behind the scenes photo. She posted it on her Instagram January 8th, 2020. And she's like in that little costume I just described um, with with a little delicate cross necklace. And um, she's drinking a Coke, not a Diet Coke, just a Coke out of a straw, like clearly getting her hair and makeup done. She looks like a doll. It is insane how beautiful she is. I also forgot to say that she was raised Catholic. So to the point about her updated Instagram bio, which is science is greater than religion. Like maybe she's whatever. She had something to react to. Okay. Anyways, moving on. Um, and the other scene that we always think of is the club scene where, um, she is wearing like white long sleeve crop top and it, with the the way the club lights are, it's like glowing in the dark and these high-waisted acid wash jeans. And she's like sitting on the stage, kind of swaying around and just like moving like subtly but sexily um, as the morning by the weekend is playing. Um, a few notes here. One to just quick sidebar on this song. I think if you were in high school around the time that that song came out, and you are just starting to experiment, experiment with sex and drugs and whatever else, or even if not, and you're just like, hormones were raging. I think it's worth the exercise of listening to that song all the way through and just like, we're really fighting the urge to cringe. Just let, like, just remember how exciting it was. <laughs> Anyways, um, the other thing is let's talk about the difficulty of pulling this off by this. I mean, looking compellingly hot in acid wash jeans and a white crop top dancing to the morning by the weekend. Okay. For so many girls, this would just look extremely awkward and just not right. You know, it's like, that's just like, that type of kind of base sexuality would just be like, just, it wouldn't, it wouldn't be right. Um, it brought me to this idea of explicit versus implicit sex appeal. Um, Julia Fox obviously has explicit sex appeal. And in this case, it is what enables her to make this scene legitimately sexy. I think Addison also has obviously explicit sex appeal. Um, 
women that can kind of like go all the way there right up to the thing itself versus like kind of the the gesture toward sex as a concept or an act needs to be much more like um much more kind of concealed and like uh yeah it's just it's much more of a gesture than a like right up to the thing um like I think yeah so kind of like explicit implicit would be like engaged versus forlorn sex appeal um that's kind of back to the jaguar versus dove emoji that I was that was calling to me before (laughs) um but yeah I guess like a kind of maybe easy way to think about it though it's not a totally one-to-one is just kind of um girls like Julia and Addison as she has come into herself recently really have this dark feminine energy that's not evil though it certainly can be used in that direction but just like way more overtly sexual and um aware of a power of their body and able to really like command space and command their body within it and I think of just like light femininity as much more coquettish um like even Emily Ratajkowski I actually think all told is like um, more light feminine because her, you know, she's, she's like, okay, whatever. She's in the bitch era. She's like toying with like darkness a lot. And as I've mentioned before, like certainly we see kind of like, um, evilness jump out in these different ways. But, um, like she, when she's at her sexiest, like, let's think back to the Robin Thicke video. That's much more about like naivete and kind of you know she's just awkwardly kind of like moving around she doesn't feel like this really like grounded like Julian Addison could just like yeah there's just some there's something more like rooted about them in some way another thing while we're on the kind of dark femininity topic is that Julia has definitely successfully instilled fear I guess like there's this kind of feeling that she could take anyone down she could like beat anyone in a fight you know (laughs) like it's this certain type of power this certain type in this certain type of girl that like no one would ever publicly cross them you know so she certainly has yeah she just has like an innate command of um social situations I would guess um yeah I wonder what she thinks about Amrata's bitch era (laughs) it's actually kind of interesting to compare them like because they're the same age, or maybe Emily's like a year younger, their careers have both been about like their sexuality and their body and their ability to use them for commercial success. And they're, they've explored work about, you know, kind of like the, the limits of their ability to capitalize on their body and the way that like exploitation and manipulation on all of it plays into it all. But, um, they're both young moms who are continuing to like be sexual and make work. Um, and yeah, I think when you like look at them side by side, it's like Emily starts to feel so kind of flimsy or something. It's like, just like, Oh my God, but Julia has lived so much life. Julia seems like way older and way younger at this, or she's not even older. She seems like just so much wiser, but still so much more youthful and like impulsive and just like, 
I guess to go back to the like artifice nature continuum, she is like so much just nature happening all the time, you know, I guess she, she can kind of like get indulgent with her understanding of herself as a chaos agent. But I do think on the whole, it's like true and it's like palpable. And that's something that makes some, a reason why she continues to be exciting, even when she's like kind of hitting the same buttons to get the same results, you know, cause on the whole, it's like, she gives this feeling of, um, unpredictability, I guess. Um, yeah, I was thinking about this recently. I was like, Emily Ratajkowski's spirit animal is like a human. You know what I mean? It's like her animal nature is just her looking around trying to figure out what she's supposed to be up to. Anyways, this all brings me to the next thing I wanted to bring up, which is, is this idea of life force. So I'm thinking of this spectrum where on one end we have, um, kind of people who feel like they're kind of, you know, on their like return to rest. And then on the other hand, we have people who are like about to explode. So both are bound by this kind of death drive, or at least like have, you know, there's self-destructive behavior at play in both, but they look very different, right? Like maybe we could think about like whose hurt expresses itself as anger versus sadness. Um, so maybe, yeah, like who we would predict to withdraw versus erupt, right? So, um, of girls we've talked about, I would predict Allison to erupt, Tinks to erupt, Sydney to withdraw. Um, obviously I don't know how any of these people deal with actual interpersonal conflict, but this idea of Julia is clearly at the far end of that spectrum where the like self-destruction has obviously come through in different points of her life via drugs. As I mentioned, she's sober now, um, or just flipping out online, um, partying, all of that. Um, yeah, there's just a bigness of presence, I guess. Um, she does have a like tragic figure, element to her you know sorry now i got on this tear just thinking about her and emrata and ways they're similar and different but um like in that video that i mentioned at the very beginning of this episode where emily radikowski's talking about announcing the bitch era she's like oh you know i'm just this fucked up girl blah, blah blah and i was like i don't know if anyone thinks of you as like this fucked up girl i think they just think you're kind of weird or i don't know i don't see emily radikowski as a tragic figure whatever um Okay. Oh my God. That was like, got so, (laughs) so down all these other lines, but we were talking about uncut gems (laughs) for the vast majority of people. Uncut gems was where we found out about Julia Fox. My boyfriend was joking the other day. He was like, Oh yeah, that movie dropped. And then literally every man in America came home from the theater and was like Googling, who is this girl? (laughs) Um, Yeah. So either the movie or like the publicity surrounding the movie. I remember that I, um, I kind of just like, she was just suddenly in the ether, you know, as I guess like that's the point of good publicity. Um, the thing that stands out in my memory is the paper magazine shoot, um, which with her and, um, Pete Davidson, um, where they were doing kind of like pillhead Barbie and Ken, and so, yeah, it's an interview by Tommy Dorfman um, with Pete Davidson. 
And uh, she was just brought in, at, like she's not also interviewed at all. She's just like the the Barbie to kind of flesh out certain of the scenes. Um, and there's a little like note in there like, oh, you know, Julia, Star- Julia Fox, a rising star in her own right, like about to be an uncut jazz, blah, 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 blah. But um, pretty uncanny. Um, and also this past year when she was like briefly dating Kanye and when Kim and Pete were together, I had kind of a like conspiracy brain moment or something where I was like, not even conspiracy brain, but you know, the, like that meme where it's like all these layers of puppeteers and at the top it's like George Soros or something. And it's like, I was just like, wait, was this all like by design? (laughs) Anyways. Another thing about this time um, when suddenly there were a ton more eyes on her um, around the time Uncut Gems was coming out was that her best friend died, I believe, of a fentanyl overdose um, that that fall. And um, I got really... This was the time when I first found out about Julia and then like all of this information about her friend Jonna's death um, was like you know, the most recently posted about stuff and Julia was like really live processing, um, this like tragedy. Um, and it was really, um, I I guess it was just like a really shocking introduction. You know, it's not what you're expecting of like this new bright young Hollywood star, um, to have like all of this rawness and pain and like darkness, um, just exhibited, I guess. Um, and Julius talked about Jonna's death a lot and she posts about it a lot. Um, actually just the other weekend was, I guess the anniversary of her death and she was posting about it. Um, and she has an entire highlights reel on her Instagram of the two of them. They're very physical with each other. (laughs) lots of like wrestling and tickling and giggling and just chasing after each other. Um, it's really heartbreaking. I mean, it's heartbreaking just as like knowledge. And then I think to see this bond that feels so kind of childlike and sisterly with so much laughter. Um, yeah, it's, um, I don't know. I guess there's, um, maybe we expect people or anytime this kind of, um, processing of tragedy is made public by anyone, but I think especially a celebrity, um, that's just not what we expect. And it's just, um, yeah, I don't know. I think it's, it's moving to know and it's like, yeah, kind of, um, stops you I guess um to see all of this all over Julia's like public facing feed I don't even know um but yeah I know that Julia's had multiple friends pass away since um like this is kind of you know this part of her past is still with her and um you know kind of is outlined I mean we talked I talked a lot about earlier her kind of, you know, exemplifying this, like, uh, this best case scenario where you kind of appear to have it all in some ways. Cause you went 
you went all the way through in this like scene in this lifestyle and you emerged and you have um you've made art around it and you people are interested in you and you cleaned it up and you're on your feet and you have this creative community that you've persisted with um and that is obviously a rosy glass look at it all and really like undercuts the um like the really like dark and destructive pieces and the losses and the tragedy of like so much of what can happen um and i think yeah i so then i think like to have her have made it and like still have like friends falling um yeah it's just kind of snaps the whole thing into that much more of focus and um yeah contributes to her still feeling like real and edgy and scary um even though she's like a star um anyways yeah rest in peace to jana um, Julia's done a number of, um, movie related things since Uncut Gems. Um, she was in this movie called No Sudden Move, which I have not seen this Steven Soderbergh movie, um, where she plays this kind of 1950s housewife. Um, I think she was pregnant when they filmed it actually. So, um, I believe it came out in 2021. And then she also wrote and directed this movie called Fantasy Girls, which was just about, um, teenage girls who are, um, sex workers in Reno. Um, and then she was also in this movie called PVT chat. So private chat, which is, I guess, filmed just before uncut gems. Um, she plays a cam girl in that. So lots of these orbiting around similar themes. Um, I know she has a couple movie projects coming up. The highest profile one is she's going to play the celebrity hairdresser, Carrie White in a movie called uppercut. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, as we all know, a lot of her career of the past year has been focused around public appearances and photo shoots um, and, yeah, and the way she addresses us directly online, which I'll talk about in a sec. Um, also wanted to do just a little bit more on her personal life. So I mentioned that Julia is a mom. She has a son named Valentino who was born in January 2021. Um, I'm sure we all remember when her pregnancy photos dropped. Um, on Valentine's Day 2021, so about a month after Valentino had been born, um, she was not posting about her pregnancy all throughout it, though she did kind of like a surprise belated announcement of it. Um, and she looks so fucking good. She's like <laughs> naked except for heels and satin gloves. Um, and she looks so fresh faced and beautiful. Um, and actually that her friend Richie, who I've mentioned several times now, also shot them. Um, and, uh, yeah, I remember, you know, this was actually a rare moment that felt like a break the internet moment to me. Um, like nothing, none of her, whatever she's been posting in the past year compares to this pregnancy shoot, which was like so hot so beautiful, so like sweet and just cute. I mean, obviously it's sweet because it's a maternity shoot, but yeah. Um, one thing that I am, um, proud of my 
<laughs> sleuthing and creepiness is that um, I was looking back at these images and I noticed that the caption of um, the first post is heart my baby. And I was like, I swear this used to say we heart daddy. And I um, looked back in my photos and luckily I had screenshotted it or from the moment it, that it dropped because I was so taken with it and it did indeed originally say we heart daddy. <laughs> She's since split up from her baby daddy. So I understand why she changed the caption, but I was just, I had to see that one through. Sorry. Yeah. So she was married to this pilot, Peter Artemyev in 2018. Um, but they later separated and I actually don't know if they're legally divorced, but, um, yeah, I'm sure many of you remember last winter when she did her like full meltdown on her Instagram stories where she was kind of, you know, had found out all of this information about how her former husband had um, been, I don't know if he was just like cheating on her or just like being a douchebag, like all around town. And he was, you know, she was just complaining about like how he wasn't doing anything with the baby or like how he was just treating her like shit. And like how he was just like a maniac and he was always just like getting way too fucked up and like getting in fights and like, you know, like assaulting other women or just like being fucked. And I remember like girls were like DMing her or texting her or something like with other like bad stories about him. And she would just like straight post them. So yeah, it was a really like wild like 24 hour period where she was just like going through it all. And then of course on the other end, she's like, Hey guys, I like blah, blah, whatever. <laughs> but it was great. I mean, like this is like her, I mean, I already mentioned the like chaos agent aspect of her, but this is like her at her best or like not even best, but like in many ways, most compelling is when we just see this like wild untamed version of her, um, that's really like intoxicating um anyways yeah um but no synth of recent like she posts a lot about being a mom being like a single mom it's very like it's a big theme for her she's back on the kind of working girl fuck men vibe for now actually just the other day she posted something about like oh like i can't remember so i don't want to botch it but something about like she wants to like be ugly for like like I don't know she's like anti-male gaze so she was like also I want to like be ugly like I've spent my life like being hot and playing into this and like I've earned the right to like be ugly or whatever and I'm just like okay just stay pretty (laughs) okay I think now we actually have to speed to 2022 so We already mentioned New Year's Eve. We kicked it off with um, this date with Kanye that she then wrote about in Interview Magazine. So this was a whole new level of attention, whole new level of um, celebrity rank um, that kind of like took the world by storm. And I probably just put her on a lot of other people's radars, right? Like Uncut Gems was certainly a popular movie, but I don't think like everyone in America watched that. And like everyone in America knows who Kanye West is. And now it's like, wait, who's this girl on his arm? Um, so anyways, uh, since then we talked about like, it's been a lot of kind of just an onslaught of looks, um, which, feel to be meant to continually provoke and one up each other. But I think 
it has, as I said at the beginning, kind of turned into feeling like provocation for provocation's sake. And there's not like, uh, it's hard to kind of maintain like critical interest in it. It's like, even if it's like, oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. That looks crazy. Or like, I can't believe she wore that to the grocery store or something. I don't know. It's hard to really like get super invested in each new one or something. Um, she does a lot of shoots. I don't know. We can just scroll through her Instagram and we, we get the vibes. <laughs> she has been getting into some like horror slash like grunge stuff of late that was a bit different and more interesting, but yeah. Um, oh, also, you know, it was just this year that she actually did that. She did that, um, Supreme ad where she's like the air hostess and she's like sitting all these on all these skaters laps. Um, that was also directed and shot by Harmony Crin. So kind of full circle with that and full circle with, um, the, um, that like, capsule collection that supreme had done in 2015 that was like a throwback to kids to like mark the 20 year anniversary of it okay whatever can't can't comment um but yeah i think in general it kind of feels like julia is just cycling so fast right now that it's hard to yeah hard to latch i guess another big like publicity thing for her that i already mentioned was her call her daddy episode uh that came out this past February, this is where the uncut gems and the, like, uh, what is a muse like that, that whole back and forth are from. So there were just kind of a ton of sound bites that were like endlessly, um, uh, memed, I guess for lack of a better word. I don't think we need to go through that so much. Um, yeah, but yeah, a lot of more airtime, just being on red carpets, having paparazzi follow her, being interviewed. Um, she often has this kind of devil may care attitude on the red carpet. Um, and sometimes, I don't know, sometimes it just seems like she doesn't want to be there. Or the vibe I get is she's like, oh, this Hollywood shit is so soft or something, <laughs> which probably is for her. Um, we already talked about how she's dropped just a ton of weight. I remember like right in the Kanye time, even she was talking about having lost like 15 pounds in a couple weeks or something. And she's just continued to lose weight. She talks about it a lot. She makes a lot of direct addresses about it. And it's always, um, mentioning it and associating it with busyness. Um, I mean, I don't really care to like speculate deeper on what could be motivating such extreme weight loss. But, um, I think just one thing that I'm interested in that I've already mentioned is just this kind of, this idea of kind of body self reflexivity. So the different ways that celebrities or just people like kind of make their body a character that they invite others to kind of like be in conversation with or about. Um, I talked about that in the Tinks episode where she's like kind of talking about her body and its fluctuations and the way she views herself and like ways she's kind of categorized herself um, that then just kind of like opens the door for like scrutiny and uh, like discussion about it. So Julia is certainly not to that level, but she is like someone who is talking about her weight and her body. Um, anyways, um, let's see, what else has she been up to this year? She started a podcast called Forbidden Fruits. This is with her longtime friend, Nikki Takesh. You know what? Maybe I'll just read their description of it on Spotify. Let them speak for themselves. Okay. 
Forbidden Fruits features no-holds-barred cultural commentary by Julia Fox and her co-host Nikki Takesh, two influential, opinionated, and transgressive women with a keen understanding of the current intersection of pop culture, sex, and stigma. Through the course of the series, they will be treating taboo content and electrifying culturally relevant guests with empathy and understanding in order to gain deeper insight into the controversial topics and figures featured. I listened to a handful of episodes, not all of them. I listened to the, they had Chloe Cherry on. I listened to that and the, um, the Kat Marnell. Um, I listened to, I'm scrolling. I'm trying to see if I listen to any others. Um, Whatever, they've had like Anna Delvey and Carrie White, that hairdresser that I said she's going to play. They had Caroline Calloway. I should listen to that. They had Twigs. Um, yeah, I they haven't posted since May, um, but I saw Julia was talking on TikTok about coming back with a season two. So we'll see. We'll see what's in store. Um, um, and then this has come up many times throughout the episode, but... Um, she has just been doing a lot more like direct addresses to her followers on social media over the past year. Um, you know, she's kind of concerning herself with it's, it's all kind of like kind of advice and like protect yourself and get yours kind of energy. So all these kind of like girl to girl, either hacks or like safety advice or just like camaraderie, um, a lot centering around just like yeah, you need to like be your own advocate. You need to be like, um, sufficient for yourself. Like men suck in X, Y, Z ways. Um, yeah. Or just her like takes on what's going on. I don't know. (laughs) She's always like in the bath or like, if she's always in the bath. Okay. Um, she also does a ton of like tutorials, right? So she's kind of, um, she's kind of earned this, vibe of like the people's princess right so she's very into like democratizing like fashion and makeup and just yeah this like she's always kind of trying to save a girl a buck um she's like you know in a lot of different ways just positioned herself as like a champion of the have-nots I think I said that before of just you know an ally for the drug addicted the poor the working girls single moms just the down and out um and so you know she has kind of emerged I think as this kind of like queen of the freaks in some way um she like certainly is a leader and she's very like loyal to her uh, constituents and friends, um, both in terms of like creative partnerships. And she's just, you know, loyalty is something that she kind of self narrates a lot as being like, you know, very important to her. Um, but yeah, I think there's certainly this kind of vibe of like our girl made it and she's giving back. Um, so for the, the question we ask of every star girl, what makes her so controversial? What makes her so hateable? What makes people not be able to stop talking about her? Um, oh, my neighbor's baby is laughing slash crying, if you can hear it. Um, I guess I can tell a story. Um, a couple of years ago, right after Uncut Gems came out, I was talking with a friend who like really didn't like Julia Fox and she was having difficulty like getting to the bottom of like what it was and you'd be like, oh, you know, like I just really don't like her. I don't like what she stands for. I don't like blah, blah. And I was like, okay, wow. Okay. I don't agree. Like. I'm really drawn to her actually what, what doesn't feel right or something. And she, you know, it was kind of, it felt like this kind of, 
uh, amorphous ethical issue in her brain. And we were trying to get closer and closer to it. And she was getting really frustrated. And then she was just like, okay, I don't know. I just, I hate her ass. And I was like, okay, well now we're getting somewhere, right? Like this is a theme we've seen again and again. Like there is huge threat in being beautiful. So it's not, uh, or being, yeah, just, I think like, uh, these kind of obvious signs of confidence in your sexuality or something, um, is like never going to not be threatening and like quote unquote annoying to people. Um, yeah, I think in the current popular imagination, uh, a lot of people think she's kind of just like, uh, like just needs a lot of attention or something and annoying. Like, uh, I feel like a lot of people can complain about her just like always carrying on about something or because people might think she's kind of obnoxious or is, I think maybe with just, you know, the way she has, what she's been up to in the past year, it's kind of just like, okay, okay, we get it. We're no longer surprised or interested in her attempts at provocation in this particular, like what she's been doing with, with fashion. Um, though that's, I don't, I don't think that's a mixed down opinion. I'm certainly open to (laughs) whatever can come. Um, But I also think like knowing her kind of past lore, she has this quality that we recognize in our social groups or girls from our high school or whatever, right? These kind of, you know, bad party girls, huge personality, high charisma, kind of a mess, but like super just naturally dominant and tough and loud and all the boys are in love with and like scared of, Um, right? Like she really gives the impression is that she's fearless and that is really threatening to the rest of us. Right. Um, I think her, her freedom is really threatening. Um, and just, yeah, the fearlessness with which she approaches everything that she does in her life, even if she ends up failing, I think. Um, what else? I mean, I know a lot of people think her voice is really annoying. That's that one's kind of hard to get around. Um, but yeah, command of a space presence, life force. I feel like your eye will just immediately go to her in any picture. Like if there's a lineup of people, it's just like immediately goes to her. And I mean, I do personally think that she's like extraordinarily beautiful, but even if that wasn't your opinion, I just think that she has this presence that like, I don't know if I can feel it from photos. Like I think like, or I can't imagine what it would be like to be in a room with her. Um, back to that quote again about the collection of life experiences in that RIP Julia Fox article about her art exhibit. Um, I think this is part of what makes her current act a little bit less interesting because it feels like she's executing on a plan. Um, and it's like her chaos agentness is so essential to her nature or the idea of her, her whims and her crazy experiences and her unexpectedness. So this all just has felt like kind of one note, I guess. Um, I don't know. But also she's a mom now, so she can't be being psychotic all the time. Whatever. Um, Yeah, and then this one's obvious, but I think just like as we've seen over and over again, like the more you kind of break the fourth wall with your audience and like engage in these direct addresses as she has on social media, um, like kind of the net, the you lose a bit of like tension and um, like allure. Just if that seems like just naturally that always happens. Um, So we just... In order to maintain the awe, we need a little bit more distance, right? So, and this is part of the reason why her like pre-Uncut Gem self is so alluring because it's just like always out of reach, right? Um, I think, you know, one thing we could ask or uh, keep open to is like 
if there will be a next act, right? I think we don't know. Um, what she's churning out now certainly isn't something that feels like it's moving the dial forward. Anyone like think critically or like even be scared of anything she's doing. Like it doesn't actually like feel that edgy. I don't know. Um, but we need to remember that when we intercepted her, uh, or for the, for the people who intercepted her, during her rise on Egghead Gems, like she had already like lived a lot of life and produced a lot of shit and been throwing a lot of pain at the wall. So she's been like being creative and fiery for a very long time. Um, and just like maybe her rise to like public notoriety didn't coincide with her like most creative, best executed projects. Um, and that doesn't mean that she hasn't lived a remarkable life. And that she hasn't made meaningful contributions or done cool things. She certainly does. But we all know stargirls don't reign forever and they don't all have the same reign. So I think we have to be open to what this looks like and what parts of it, what parts of her real reign we may not have been present for. Um, the best of Julia is how she functions in this like greater um kind of metaphysical myth space um as just an incredibly evocative beautiful powerful woman um who happens to have been or is like the real deal in terms of life lived and experiences accumulated um that has just been like really on the ground um at least in the way that it has calcified in public record and trickled down to us like consumers um i think she has like done a lot of things that people in new york are still flirting with um and she did it all like yeah as i said she's lived a like huge and um remarkable and interesting life and on top of that she speaks to this time just beyond our fingertips right um like it you know it there's kind of this feeling of oh if we had only been here like five ten years earlier like we could have seen it we could have experienced the new york that she was in um yeah i think that that's kind of a tale as old as time is feeling like like you just missed the golden ages of new york um but yeah, it is like, it's an intoxicating and like, it's really easy to um, get wrapped up in a feeling that there was a time just beyond what was available to you that was more sensual, connected, interesting, scary, thrilling than the one we're in now. Um, and I think that for people who are currently in New York partying and thinking about art and wanting to make their experiences turn into something amazing. <laughs> um, Julia's time period is kind of the, yeah, the most recent history of something that we were just a little bit too late to, right? And it's a much easier pill to swallow that you had bad timing rather than whatever you're up to just isn't cutting it or <laughs> you don't, um, have the resources or, uh, like vision or taste or like 
discipline or whatever else other combination of things to like be putting yourselves in the places where the interesting conversations are happening so it is an easy hold fall down (laughs) never you get it um yeah I, i was at this reading this past week um which has nothing to do with julia fox or her time period um it was it was for this this new biography of elizabeth hardwick by this writer gerald pickney um or they were talking about this phenomenon of feeling like a particular social and artistic world is irretrievable. In their case, they're talking about um, 1970s literary world in New York. Um, but uh, this longing for a moment that feels much richer than the one we're in now, and this kind of nostalgia and mourning almost for uh, a period of time that we never actually experienced. Um, and they were just pointing out that like this is always the case, right? This is like the truth of every generation and like micro era within it. Um, and he had two like really good pieces of advice that I think I want to share. <laughs> They relate to this Julia thing. Um, One is that you have to take the moment you're living in seriously. And two is that you have to take yourself seriously and to really believe that you are contributing to something because doing these two things are the only way that you're ever going to fortify anything of substance at all. Um, And it's so easy to kind of project back into time and think that your time is the most boring right? Like that culture is at an all time low, just at the moment when you want to be creating something. Um, but that is kind of the only surefire way to not a seek wildness and meaning and B to not create anything wild or meaningful out of it. So I just think like, yeah, it feels important that to, yeah, I guess just to not let ourselves get consumed by a longing for a time, whether it's Julia's or not. Um, And yeah, just to not like default to feeling like there's nothing for us in our time that's worth engaging with or uh, pushing against or like building upon. Um, Because, or I guess there's like, if you do that, then you won't make anything, right? (laughs) So yeah. Um, I have a great deal of respect for Julia and I think she can be a role model for whatever you're looking for. Um, even if you're not interested in the particular pathways or experiences that she has had, I think there's a certain kind of, um, even as chaotic as she is, there is a certain like stoicism that I see just because she has had so many experiences because she's lived so much, right? Like, um, that's what I was talking about earlier. And like when we were thinking about her and Emily next to each other and it's just like, Oh, but Julia has just like, seen more shit like I don't know um it feels like that will that should ultimately add up to some real wisdom um yeah and I also just think that like if we're gonna root for her and honor her which I think that we should we have to like really look at the composite right like as I was just saying her rise to fame may have been after her peak output like that's a possibility that we won't really know until we see what the rest of her life looks like. Um, and I just, yeah, we can't like get so hung up in the here and now. And we also can't check out of the moment, I guess, like I was saying. Um, yeah. Or just like, yeah, checking out of it will always be 
easier than sticking with it. So let's challenge ourselves. Um, well, thanks for listening. Um, I'm so excited to be back and, um, yeah, let's get after it. You guys (laughs) talk to you soon. Bye.
Girl, put in work, girl, girl, put in work, girl, girl. 